you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animate chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the left to F in your dictionary. And add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. I'm a nerd over And iOS 10. Funny thing. Um... Evernote is not compatible with the latest Sierra update. And oh no, Sierra's for the for the computer. Oh 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 yes. On the oh. phone, it's okay. On the phone, okay. Oh, yeah. interesting. iOS, pardon me, not OS yeah. X. Yes, sorry. Yes. iOS 10 does indeed have notes that has uh, that has shareability, but um, I don't like that. Uh, I, 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 you know, I'm happy not giving them a monopoly. Yeah. <laughs> they, they don't do well with monopolies. Well, I think as people have pointed out, you know, has anybody ever actually won a game of monopoly? It's, uh, you know, I don't think it's a good thing. Um, you're heading a- in. Oh, you were talking got, about agent of shield and how surprised you were that you'd not been oh, had yes, it spoiled. Yes, I was. So I was uh, two episodes away before I get to watch ghost Rider. I'm very excited about that. Yeah. Um, and I'll see if you had a chance to look at that top story, and I'll just roll right in. This is Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of FanboyPlanet.com, and we are podcasting on Thursday, September 29th, 2016, at uh, 7.37 is, is what I'm looking at at the clock. That's what it's and on mine. There it is. Oh, we have synced. That is nice. And, of course, there on the other side of the Skype connection is... Rick Brett Snyder. That's right, podcast producer extraordinaire. Tonight we don't have to say physical host because we are like a complete virtual podcast. I'm sorry that Nate would not is not able to join us tonight, Nate Costa, uh, but he is on the late shift. So that next week uh, he can be on the early shift so that he can go see Big Trouble in Little China with James Gunn interviewing Kurt Russell afterwards at the Egyptian in Hollywood. So um, I, I don't blame him a bit for that, and we miss him tonight, but uh, there it is. So, we got a lot of news for you, but first uh, off, I want to talk, uh, remind you that if you're listening to us uh, on iTunes or Google Play or the Stitcher app, please rate us, review us, uh, subscribe to us, and tell your friends, because that's how we grow, by word of mouth. As well, if there's anything we talk about on tonight's podcast that you would like to purchase for yourself, uh, assuming it's a book or a movie or a toy, uh, you know, that... Uh, Not a congressman, can, No. Not a congressman, not legally. No. <laughs> not, not, I don't know. Do we have anybody that powerful listening? I don't know. But anyway, if there's something and you can't find it at your local book and mortar store, because we have brick and mortar, not book and mortar, although that's not a bad idea for a title, for a store store name. Uh, it's your local brick and mortar store, because we do believe in supporting uh, small businesses and comic shops like uh, Elusive Comics and Games, Hijinks Comics in, in Willow Glen. And, of course, uh, this week there we got a little special treat from Earth 2 Comics in Sherman Oaks. Um, if you can't find it there, please, uh, you can go to Amazon through the links on fanboyplanet.com. We get a very small kickback, and the more people buy through Amazon, the less small our kickback becomes. <laughs> uh, and as well, if you would <laughs> like to just support... That's a different word for that, by the way. I know there is, but it but it wouldn't have been as poetic uh, because it's still <laughs> small. It's sort of like uh, there's a line in the in Spinal Tap Returns where they said, "I work for a stipend, which is like money, only much much smaller." So, <laughs> that's, uh, anyway, uh, that uh, 
Of course, if you'd like to just support Fanboy Planet in the sense of keeping it alive and the and helping to defray the cost of hosting the site and the podcast and running those things on iTunes and Google Play, uh, you can, of course, donate money to PayPal to us uh, through editor at fanboyplanet.com, which, of course, is also, if you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. And so we got comics news, we got movie news, and we got TV news and discussion going on. And our top story is something I just wanted to put out there uh, because it was <laughs> something we have talked about quite a bit uh, on the podcast. And it is the Hollywood Reporter just ran a story on uh, on the kind of the sh- love and shove aspect of conventions. Uh, their t- their story titled "Stars Getting Rich Off Fan Conventions: How to Take Home Quote Garbage Bags Full of Twenties." I want to do That's, that. I know. <laughs> How do you do that? And their lead is one effective superhero culture: a proliferation of fan events where Marvel movie heroes and Walking Dead stars walk away with six figures more than most get paid for their real jobs for a weekend's work. And I had really not thought about it in those terms. I mean, I knew they were making money and, and not begrudging any, but there you go. They're, they might make more for a weekend than they do for why they're f- famous to us in the first place. That is astounding. Uh, what did it say? $500,000. Chris Evans made $500,000 at the Salt Lake City Comic Con. That's an, that's an estimate. Um, and Heroes and Villains Fan Fest, which, uh, as Dave Tapia pointed out to me, the first one was actually in San Jose. And it's interesting that, that it says talent agencies have actually developed uh, open departments uh, of personal appearance agents to book talent for conventions, which is a new thing. And as had been hinted at by Jason Salzer a few weeks ago, they're mad at Stephen Amell, who's created his own agency just for booking. Well, of course, so, he took money away from the leeches. Oh no, 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 no! Absolutely, I don't begrudge that. But it's uh, there's there says the, the that the those involved in the convention circuit estimate that Amel walks away with two hundred fifty thousand dollars a weekend, more than he makes per episode per arrow. But he denies that. Um, but it is kind of interesting. Uh, <laughs> it's just we've talked we've talked about it for quite a while, and now the mainstream media is uh, is paying attention to it. And I like that it's pointing out that a lot of actors are oh, <laughs> are begging to get booked on shows as guest stars because then they can get into the convention circuit. Yes, which is something that I've thought for a while. It's like if you if you could get be on Star Trek, you could be set for life. Always make a little money by saying you could you would go to go to a convention. Well, again, it's, again, this was what Galaxy Quest for uh, foretold. You know, with the. Uh, that guy who was in one episode who... Yeah, there we go. Going. Guy. <laughs> Not that guy. Guy, guy. yeah. <laughs> What's my last name? I don't even have a last name. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so yeah, they say that the Marvel movie heroes make the most. But it is uh, it is interesting. And then, so this ties into this interesting thing. Because actually, uh, as I hinted, and that's kind of our next story, is that I, I went to uh, Earth 2 last night, and Cardi Angelo and I were talking. So they had a signing. This ties in uh, to this Hollywood Reporter article. They had a signing uh, for Deadpool Annual, uh, number one. And uh, 
Brian Posehn, Jerry Dugan, and uh, and Scott Koblish were there signing. And Carr said, you know, we've got to be careful because there is a new California bill that requires autographed collectibles sold in the state to come with a certificate of authenticity, which is an extra charge at conventions. Interesting. Because now they're saying, and, and it said uh, Mark Hamill is one of, uh, this was brought up to me, it was one of the people who uh, backed it, you know, because Hamill's been doing like that thing where if you sign, if people had given him a card to sign or something, he would write a big long uh, dedication, a story to make it kind of unique, even though it would almost pretty much cover up the card because he was getting tired of people getting these signatures and then turning around and flipping them on eBay. And so, you know, that's, uh, that is interesting. So if I understand rightly, the loophole in the law, and I mean this in a positive way, is that if it's like you go to a signing and you get your book signed, that's okay. Sure. Like the, the store doesn't have to, but, um, which this is a very common practice for comic book store signings is that in a law they'll say like, well, um, here's 50 copies of the book, which you sign so we can sell the autograph copies later to those who couldn't make it to the signing. Um, you know, know, so I don't do this a lot. I don't, I'm I'm not big on, on, uh, the fan fawning stuff, but I did take my copy of, uh, game of thrones with me actually the first you know first in a song of ice and fire to me with me to london to have it signed by george R. R. martin and what i did was as he signed it i was taking pictures of him with the book and his and he was signing the yeah. signature so if i ever do decide to sell that or if my heirs do um it has photos in 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 the pages of that so we'll, uh, you know I, that's interesting i wonder if you know, uh, I, I'm with you. I mean, I feel better. It's just like, you know, the other people that make a lot of money, uh, are the, if you're a doctor who that could be $250,000, uh, for a weekend. So I feel better about having paid for a photograph and signature, uh, autograph photo for my son, for, uh, John Hurt. Cause I'm like at his age, absolutely. He deserves every bit of money he can make oh, sure. draw out of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and it was an interesting perspective because they also interviewed Jewel State, you know, from, uh, Firefly, Kaylee and, and, firefly right and she said last year she was pregnant with her first child and she and and she could agree she could go to a convention and make uh and she was turning down acting jobs but she could make as much money signing for two days which would be far less strenuous on her while she was pregnant than than being on the set of something so it's uh it's kind of kind of just a you know interesting thing again like i said we've talked about it quite a bit and uh and it's, uh, it, you know, it, it's interesting. Amel has a quote, which is totally true, that the world has, has caught up. Uh, the way people used to think about conventions, and some still do, was that it was someplace actors who had fame early on went as almost a last resort. And that's just not true anymore. And that's Stephen Amel saying, oh, and they have what you charge at conventions. Good Lord, Mark Hamill is $195 for an autograph and photo. Yeah. And the girl, Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Things, is fifty dollars a photo. That is astounding. That's good for her. Yeah, that's great. I mean, college, uh, college fund. <laughs> something I forgot. I forgot to mention uh, from my PAX report last week. Yeah, or a yeah. month ago. Yeah, no, it wasn't a month ago. It was a couple of weeks ago. Um, okay. 
It was a couple of episodes ago. That's how I'm recording time. Um, okay, but that was a month ago. <laughs> there was there was a guy at there was a young man at PAX dressed as the Millie uh, character. Uh-huh. Um, he had his head buzz cut and he was wearing a dress and he was perfect. Absolutely perfect. I'm saying that is potentially the cosplay uh, cosplay for the year. Uh, I'm expecting we'll see more guys cross-dressing into oh, that absolutely. costume. Either you posted a photo of that on Facebook. No, I didn't or... get a picture of it. I didn't get a picture of it. I saw somebody though. Okay, somebody did. I imagine. So I, I imagine there 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 are going to be a lot of a lot of. Uh... Yeah, it's. I I have seen a photo around, and it was great, great cosplay. So uh, I will roll then into comics because, as I mentioned, you know this story uh, ties into Earth Two uh, comics and the uh, the signing last night for Deadpool Annual Number One, which is potentially one of my what's in the bag. The, the, the disadvantage of being virtual is I can't we can't actually look at stacks ahead of time. Um, but uh, I've, I've anyway, got, I've got conditional stuff. Go okay, good. Well, so do I. I. I'm just ready. You know, I'm just ready. But anyway, uh, so I did get a chance. I didn't get a chance to talk to Brian Posehn. Made it in there. I, I talk about you know fandom. A guy showed up last night, screeched in at the very end of the signing, and and Jerry Dugan and uh, Scott Koblish had already left. But this guy drove in from Vegas just to get their autograph on Deadpool Annual, and uh, like. Wow, that is that is fandom, and that's what the, what it's all about. Luckily, Brian Posehn was was still there and, and was able to sign for him. Um, I did not get a chance to talk with Scott and Brian, but uh, Jerry did take a few minutes uh, with me as well. So we have that extra special treat this week of an interview with Deadpool writer and many other Marvel books right now, and an image book as well, uh, Jerry Dugan. I am here at Earth 2 Comics in Sherman Oaks, uh, as promised on my Facebook page, and I'm talking with uh, Jerry Dugan, uh, Marvel comics writer. Well, not just Marvel, right? Are you? Are you, are you exclusive? No, I, I mostly am writing a lot of Marvel these days, yeah, so it's, it's been a lot of fun. And currently writer on Deadpool. Um, That's right. Do you take credit for all the, 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 the success of Deadpool cinematically <laughs> right now? Yeah, no. Uh, you know, last year... Um, you know, I think I became the writer with the most Deadpool credits. But the truth is, uh, you know, the the film guys, uh, Reese and Wernick and and Ryan and Tim Miller, have actually been wrenching on Deadpool for longer. They started in 2010. So, so. how did you get involved in the first place? I mean, we're, by the way, would you say we're here because you just released Deadpool Annual Number One? And I will come back to you, mocking Spider-Man and his amazing friends. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but what got you pulled into that in the first place? Uh, Axel Alonso um, was... Uh, Brian Posehn and I had done a comic at Image with Rick Remender, and uh, Rick had uh, vouched for us to Axel, and Axel read Christmas and uh, read The Last Christmas and, uh, you know, uh, thought that maybe we were right for uh, a Deadpool gig, and it just took a long time to sort of have the right slot open up. And, um, you know, we were asked to take over at, um, you know, when Marvel Now f- kicked off. And, uh, you know, I didn't have any expectations about uh, sticking around as long as I have. I just wanted to have fun. 
and I hope that uh, I hope that we have. You know, it's been it's and been you an interesting. It very wildly in tone too. Sometimes you've been outrageously yeah. hilarious, and then I, I think one of the things I said to you earlier, you made me care about the character. Was I felt suck, almost suckered in by the humor and how outrageous it was, and then when you got to the Captain America Wolverine team up, and you oh, know, cool. it, it's such a sad undertone. Yeah, thanks. I I think um, you know the comedy and the. And the tragedy are our sweet and sour, you know, the closer we can put those mo- moments, you know, on a page turn. If you're laughing on one page turn, you won't see the gut punch coming on the next. So that's been, you know, it's it's a formula to not have a formula. But if we have those ingredients in there, I think it's, uh, you know, the, I have fun doing it. And if I have fun in the scripts, then I know the artists are going to have fun and... You know, I write once for the editor, and then uh, I get Jordan's notes, and then uh, it goes to the artist, and then I rewrite it when the boards come back. So that's, you know, if sometimes I try and beat jokes until the day they goes to press, and you know, I'm I'm sure about the other stuff, so I it's um yeah. So uh, the inspiration for this annual, um, <laughs> what uh, what gave you guys the idea to? to tackle Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Well, Steve Wacker, who I did Nova with for a long time, uh, you know, I uh, had left Marvel New York to join uh, Burbank uh, in the animation department. He's, he's And so I shot him a note and I said, hey, let's do a Deadpool, ish, a Deadpool uh, half hour with Spider-Man where it's a throwback. To, and he goes, let me just stop you there and say no. I'm going to say no. <laughs> I was like, all right, well, I'll show you. I'll... Uh, so it was a silly idea that I knew that sometimes you have ideas that you know are not going to be approved, but you say them anyway just to get laughs. And then I was like, oh, wait, I'll just have Scott ape that style. Mm-hmm. You know, and Because and, uh, Scott, uh, Scott Koblish can really, uh, has every gear in the world. Um, so we quickly found that, you know, he, not everyone can, uh, you know, uh, draw uh, in every style, and then not everyone can draw in, get gags, and have that pacing. And so he's very he's very important uh, to us, and and uh, we knew that he'd be able to do it. And uh, we had a lot of fun writing it for him, and then you know he had fun drawing it, and I hope everyone has fun reading it. But yeah, it was just a silly thing of you know what would be the effect of a modern day Deadpool on an '80s cartoon, and. Unfortunately, for many of those characters, we found out. Yes. Do you have fond memories of that animated series? I do. Yeah. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I, um, I watched it. I was certainly peripherally aware of it. I, I probably have seen most of them, but you know, I was more uh, a fan of the comics. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that was my background. Okay. Well, uh, we look forward to uh, when. Success, success for it, and thank you yeah. for taking the time tonight, because I know you've, you've got to get out of here, but thanks for taking a few minutes after this. Of course, session. I'd love to hang out and talk more, I just, uh, I'm up against my son's bedtime, and he's in a comic shop, and it makes me nervous, <laughs> he might be saying he wants to buy. So. Uh, I completely understand, thank you. Thank you. All right, uh, so that was quite a lot of fun, and I did get uh, a piece of Deadpool sheet cake, which was delicious. If you have not gone to a signing at Earth 2, they always have some kind of thematic treat that uh, goes along with it. And I can say that uh, Jerry took home a piece of the cake that had the picture of Herbie from um, the Fantastic Four cartoon on it because he had to have have that for himself, uh, actually probably for the rest of his family. But anyway, um, 
So let's get to some of the comics news. Other yeah, comics. Just news. a second, just a second. Is Herbie actually in Deadpool right now? No, because he's no, in no. he's in something else right now. I, I've the forgotten. cover of Deadpool Annual. Uh, well, the, the conceit of Deadpool, uh, as you will have would have heard on the interview, is that uh, it's what if Deadpool had invaded Spider-Man and his amazing friends? And okay. so okay. it's the cover is a Marvel. Uh, a, a videotape. Deadpool's pulling a VHS out of the box, and it's Deadpool and his un- insufferable pals. So uh, Deadpool has uh, uh, k- tried to uh, do away with Peter Parker so he could take his place with Iceman and, and uh, Firestar. Uh-huh. And so, and it's drawn in the style of '80s Marvel animation by Scott Koblish. It is. Crappy. Uh, it is magnificently oh. well done. <laughs> In its ability to reproduce the crappiness of the original. Oh my gosh, but I was laughing reading it and thinking, this is one of those books where I, if any young Deadpool fans are reading this, they have no idea what, right. you know, they get a sense of it, but they don't get the inside jokes of, of why this is, you know, yeah. because I well, don't they think really that's phoned a, this one in, didn't they, yeah. I don't think this that's an animated series that has really um, withstood the test of time, you know? I mean, I don't think it's, like, remembered fondly the way that Spider-Man series of the 90s was or, uh, you know, or Batman the Animated Series. I think, uh, I, think, that's a, I think it failed the test of time about two weeks after it was out. Um, I will tell you it failed the test of time about um, one week before it started for me because yeah. I, I, I bought the comic book tie-in that was basically an adaptation of the first episode. And I was so annoyed by the weird retelling, uh, not, not even a retelling, the weird redoing of the origin of the green goblin that like, I think it was in high school. And I was just, I was so offended by how simplified it had been made for kids. And I was like, I'm not going to, I'm going to still watch a couple of episodes, but I, that show always, always bothered me. But, uh, yeah, there, that's my confession. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jerry. Uh, Anyway, uh, so let's talk about other comics news, which is that today uh, or yesterday, and I I totally miss this at the shop, so I need to go back in. But just because it's interesting is that Karen Berger, who was really you know the given a lot of credit as the guiding force of Vertigo, when Vertigo was really a power in in comics and kind of alternative, um, has returned to editing comics, uh, and her fir- the first book she edited uh, came out yesterday from Image, uh, Surgeon X. So um, it's more of a notation of a book that sounds interesting to me about like a plague uh, that has overtaken society and a young woman who's almost like a vigilante doctor trying to cure people in the streets. So kind of a dystopian sci-fi thing. But I looked this Um, one up when you put it in the list, and it's actually based on a real thing, which is uh, antibiotic-resistant bacteria and stuff, that the idea that, that... we the super may, bugs. We may be losing our ability to fight uh, these bugs. Uh, uh, you know, okay, yes, I know that there is that inspiration. I won't even say we may be. Um, we have lost the ability to fight many. I've been reading a lot of articles and, tra- and tracing that, but but let's not scare the hell out of our listeners. <laughs> with, uh, but there's a truth about all the different ways that they're desperately trying to figure out ways to combat them now because we have made um, a lot of bugs anti, uh, you know, what is that? It's the MRSA? Uh, bacteria, 
uh, the MRSA infection. People are getting in hospitals a lot that are now seems to be resistant. Yeah. Staph infections now are very resistant to uh, penicillin. People and, have to remember when they get an antibiotic, they have to take the whole thing. They have to take it until they run out of the antibiotic. That's but that's happens. not really the problem. It's, it's been it's, it's been people. It, that's part of it, but it's been people over prescribing it. Like I've got a sore throat, so I'm going to take antibiotics, and doctors over prescribing it because they thought it was like a miracle. Yeah. So it was being used when it didn't need to be used. Yeah. Um, and, and so it, and it's both. Yes. That they were, that they were leaving some alive, but it's also that we've just, we've played with it as if it was a miracle cure. So now you're making me want to read this book even more. Uh, so also speaking of a book that everybody should be reading, which is the rebirth wonder woman, uh, in an interview this week, which Greg Rucka is like, getting now a little upset on social media about people ascribing all kinds of uh, political things to him. Uh, he confirmed that Wonder Woman is is bisexual. And so the, I, I read this as, as being presented to me as news and thinking not only is it very obvious in the, in the run uh, so far of his, uh, of his return to the character, um, but it's also how is that news? You know, I, I mean, it's kind of been an obvious thing. I, I don't know. Or may, maybe it says a longtime reader we've just associated it. And some people said, oh, yeah, back in the 40s, it was a little more obvious. Like, well, then, it, it's, then it's always been. Did it need to be confirmed in an interview? Or is it obvious from reading that it was, you know, it was it, as obvious as anything like that was in the 40s, you know? Right. Yeah. And it's as obvious in 2016 as anything is, you know. I so I don't know. It almost makes me feel like a like a cranky conservative of uh, saying that is like does it have to be named when it's so obvious from the storytelling that it's true, and definitely from um, Grant Morrison's Wonder Woman Earth Earth One uh, graphic novel as well. So um, which of course Grant Morrison had promised uh, was going to be there, but. Um, it's kind of this is the latest story in comics that is breaking into the mainstream, and to me, it's a non-story. But we'll talk about it as an opportunity to say, by the way, again, a Wonder Woman Rebirth is excellent. And uh, have you been reading it, or have you caught up with it? I am not reading it. I did read Trinity last week. And yeah, no, we talked. We talked about no, Trinity. but but it reminds me that currently, I believe. Wonder Woman didn't has the current Wonder Woman ha, did not have a relationship with Bruce Wayne and no. did not have the relationship with Superman the the current the current Superman she right did, and that's what makes it interesting yeah right yeah uh, that that this is and they and they established they solved that in an issue of of action I think um, what resolved that question of Lois was a little tentative right, and she right. said no. This, Diana's very, uh, very upfront saying, that's not the Clark Kent I knew. Right. So there are echoes of the man I was in love with, but that's not him. And now they're and, BFFs. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I love, and I love that, but it's an interesting, interesting dynamic of, you know, being with a doppelganger of the person that you used to, that you loved who died. You know, it says there's so much potential in Trinity, but in Wonder Woman as well, that alternate telling the origin one, you know, in alternate issues yeah. with um, the ongoing story, uh, it, what it made me feel was that it's fantastic that Rucka and Liam Sharp, because that's really you know that, that storyline, the the modern day set one, not the origin, is the one that could really lay the groundwork for if people are curious. Once you see Wonder Woman the movie, um, and once Justice League comes out, and they, I'm just hoping that 
Wonder Woman, the first one is good enough for a, a two, where do you go? And I think that what Rucka is doing um, and bringing back the, uh, bringing a new um, element to the cheetah uh, is the cheetah. Yes, right. Barbara Minerva. Yes, she's the cheetah. Yes, cheetah. Yes. Um, the way he's positing that villain uh, is, and and portraying her is really interesting and could make a really great visual, you know, on screen. And we've never seen her portrayed on on film before so uh you know i as i i, I told liam you know we're kind of we are acquaintances from con- conventions past and his work with Madefire. and so what really excited me about him getting this job was that it's like he is uh he gets to draw for a lot of people the iconic wonder woman and if i and if this story ends up being like kind of the iconic wonder woman cheetah story that you know a lot of threads could be picked up for the, for the film um, would be, I would just be so excited. Uh, one, I do think Greg Rucka is doing one of the best, best runs on Wonder Woman that, that there has been. And, uh, yeah, so it, I'm just thrilled with that as rebirth. As, as we've said, I'm very happy with most of rebirth. And if you're not, uh, if you haven't really explored rebirth, as Rick predicted in a previous podcast, uh, there is a DC rebirth number one omnibus coming in mid-december so you can read them all in a conveniently oversized too heavy single volume (laughs) (laughs) well then i then i this actually is a much better omnibus than any of the prior (laughs) that is true because the stories are kind of self-contained and i that's exactly when i read the news i was like that's that's what i thought is that what has been great about rebirth it, with one exception, which might be one of my uh, choices this week anyway, is um, that it, it that they have felt like a okay a really a resetting a reestablishing of the status quo, so that if you wanted to go forward and for the and for the most part the, they have worked for me as obviously as I've talked to before about like I'm really digging Green Arrow and I haven't bought Green Arrow and hadn't bought Green Arrow in well over a decade. Um, because that rebirth issue just reset things so nicely and, and, and cleanly for me. So I think it's a great, it's a great deal. And then the only one that I'm, I'm still, I'm just puzzled by is a deluxe edition of that first special that Jeff Johns wrote that 80 page where they say there's like, you know, added, this is bonus content, but it's sketches. And I'm like, do I need more yeah. of that? And they've reprinted it like four times. I mean, which is great that they've had to, but, with different covers, and I saw it again last night, like a copy with a with a uh, a, f- a new shinier logo. I'm like, I don't need that <laughs> other edition, and I guess, and I don't need a deluxe edition because I've got it already tied back up, you know, I, bagged and boarded, and uh, and I well, I had two. I, I did get two copies of, of the first one, so that one for reading and one with the JLA uh, with the JSA cover where they're coming out of the the hourglass um and that one i bagged and boarded because i just i love that cover and i want that so that my son between my son and i if we reread that other one we can destroy it and that's fine that's a nice nice version of it <laughs> i see you're planning <laughs> ahead for the destruction of your comics uh, i know how it goes i just know how it goes so now is the time uh to play what's in the bag and let's make our recommendations for this week or sometimes warnings as we did uh, uh last week you know what? I, and I got Can I repudiate one from last week, or just an interesting viewpoint? Sure. I I brought up Simpsons Treehouse of Horrors. Uh huh. 
and I I was disappointed by it. But my son read it, and not having read a bunch of because it's it's new to him, he's not right, deeply right. into this, and he's just discovering The Simpsons. He loved it. Yeah. And so he's not finding uh, repetitive because it's the first time right. he's seen it. And yeah. so my caveat and a reminder for everybody is take every recommendation we make with a grain of salt, because as Jim Shooter used to say, every comic book is somebody's first comic book, or that character is new to somebody. And if it still sounds like something you're interested in, I will not judge you uh, for buying that book. Um, well, so, can I can I do a PSA before we get into the what's in the bag then? And okay. it's not really a PSA; it's kind of a complaint, basically. I mean. It's not so much that uh, it's happening in his regular book, but the I think the the um, the emphasis on T'Challa lately in books not his own is he's kind of a dick. He was especially dickish in um, Totally Awesome Hulk, uh, but it, it, all you have to do is look at the covers. He's like always stalking and coming up from behind. Uh, characters that we uh, we kind of like otherwise, you know. It's I don't know what's what's going on there, but he was he was certainly he's got this kind of I don't know kind of a uh, no take no prisoners my way or the highway uh, attitude about what's going to happen. And but not so much in the not so much. In, it's it's funny in his own book he's a little bit. Um, underwhelming because of everything else that goes on in those all the other supporting characters and stuff but right which they're already planning a spin-off of yeah it. i mean you're right and this is the this is the danger of the transmedia i because i just noticed that by the way you know uh catching up on shield and on the end credits there's a transmedia producer uh like so that there is somebody in charge of cross promote you know i don't even know what that means to say a transmedia pr- producer but you know that's Somebody the downside. Supposed, they're supposed to make sure that they don't they don't change the character up so much that it's not what they what people that are it can't appear in the Marvel books. I mean, who can, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, you know, I, I, we can speculate until somebody who actually works in the business can explain it to me. You know, I, I think it, it, the moment is kind of it, it's kind of speculative, and I, and I suspect because it's the first time I've seen that credit that it's a that it's something relatively new. I mean, transmedia has been a concept around for a while, but. Um, but having a transmedia producer, it is just interesting, because definitely the comics version of Agents of Shield right now does really reflect more. It's Phil Coulson. Oh yeah, it's it's, it's Daisy Fix, uh, Fitz, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it's kind of eh, it's kind of interesting. So, but the danger of like Black Panther having become such a breakout character from from Captain America: Civil War is there's a push that as you might say is kind of may, maybe at odds with plans they had for him uh when dealing with like hickman's view with with secret wars and then the resetting that happened there and i don't know and the time yeah. easy codes got a different kind of attention and and well well deserved i mean it's a, it's really an interesting book um but you know yeah it's kind but my of complaint, like he, my complaint specifically is he's not always been that way he's always been level-headed he's always been thoughtful and considered yeah. you know and now he's kind of like eh. so well, I'll be honest. In the comics, I feel like they've jerked him around a lot in the last few years. Yeah, and you know that's yeah. But that's it. Let's go. Let's go. And what's in the bag? What's uh, what's first in your bag for this week? First in my bag is Doctor Strange Annual Number One. 
which I'm glad you chose that. That was on my stack, but I didn't get a chance to read it. So good. You can which is it. which is as I said, I think in our last podcast, uh, this is uh, the return of Clea, and uh, it's it's like, like a lot of annuals. There, it's a uh, half one story, half another. So it's also the lead-in to Doctor Doctor Strange, Sorcerer's Supreme. And is it and the Sorcerer's Supreme? Yes. And, the, and Sorcerer's the Sorcerer's Supreme. Supreme. Yeah, I was yes. turning pages to get back to where they actually had the quote. So, um, yeah. So, again, great time to be jumping on to Doctor Strange. I've really been loving the uh, the direction and the plotting and all the characters they've been using in this. The, the, the It's all been about all the magic in the Marvel Universe and characters we may not have seen before. We've seen a little differently. Um and I, I'm looking forward to uh, the Sorcerer's, Sorcerer's Supreme book as yeah. well. And in general, it's a redo. If people are, want to go back to like the the, the trade paperback, uh, well, the first one is is out. I don't know if the second one's out yet. Um, but that it's a re, not a reboot, a rethinking of Doctor Strange that doesn't invalidate right who he was before. Right. And they've had a couple of reboots that I think kind of did. Well, I think you, know, you get more of an insight into what his world's like yeah. than you've gotten before, and so yeah, it's not—it's so. not—it's not really that different. It's just our view of his world and his interactions with our world is much more interesting. And that's the kind of retconning that I like. You know that you could that you saw the stories don't change that existed before. You just you just get a depth to them you didn't before, a subtext um, that now you go back and read and go, oh yes. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, so I will say next on mine because I because I'm going to go with an issue number three because I'm all about rebirth, um, okay. and it's Titans number three uh, because it's driving me to I know now I have to get because I'm very unclear as to what the teen that the original Teen Titans remember. Um, there's the Titans hunt uh, trade paperback came out a couple weeks ago, and uh, so I have to go back and read that, but. If you are interested in the meta, or and maybe that's not the word right for it, the overarching conspiracy or plot that is what this entire event of Rebirth is about, the other thing I, I'm really liking about Rebirth is that you you don't have to care that there's a larger plot going on, because many books don't really acknowledge it, but there is a larger plot. And Titans is one of the books at the center of it. Just as, as we talked about in the last podcast, like the Lois and Clark, so the Superman story with that in Trinity is sort of the aftermath of that because that's, uh, you know, the Lois, the, that trade paperback for Lois and Clark calls back to it and leads into it. Titans is the center of this mystery with Wally West trying to figure out what happened to him. And they're fighting uh, Abracadabra uh, in the first three issues of Titans. And, um, who believe Abracadabra believed that he was responsible for what happened to Wally West. And then he's also realizing he may, that he may be wrong, that someone manipulated him. And so there's something kind of, all right, it may be needlessly complicated, but I'm fascinated by it. And, uh, it's, it's really kind of interesting to see, and I've got to pick up the back, but it's also by Dan Abnett. Um, 
you know, who has just been consistently working. Well, he's, he was he wrote all the Warhammer books with his, his former partner Abnett and Lanning. Uh, basically created the modern gardens of the galaxy. Had an incredible run on Legion of Superheroes. So he's one of those guys that really knows how to uh, how to tell intriguing science fiction based stories with teams, um, and they're always interesting. And, he, and I don't think he gets enough credit. So it's kind of a surprise. I thought that of the Rebirth issues, uh, Titans had the most awkward start, and now it's um, one of the books that I look forward to most in Rebirth because I like the central mystery of what happened to the universe. Uh, so I, I recommend that. I might have to go back and pick those up. I, I typically don't buy Titans or Teen Titans um, just because it was kind of a part of the DC universe that was easy to cut out and not miss. Um, and they kept on screwing with what it was about. You know, they, they so many reboots that weren't even like, company reboots but i got my head turned around this week this is not on my list but i got my head turned around this week by seeing teen titans rebirth number one which was the solo rebirth title for teen titans yeah the one that's uh robin uh yes the the uh damien robin coming in to uh assemble his team of titans uh in the most dickish way possible <laughs> but that's 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 what we love about so Damien. Damien. <laughs> so, so there we kind of split one. That's the bonus book of the week. That uh, that was really a great read. Yeah, that was fun and and, and redefine you know or, or I should say redefine defined who they are in this universe. Yeah, and I needed that for some of those characters, especially the other Wally West. So yeah, next in your stack. So I'll jump to DC and then finish with Marvel. Uh, so the Action Comics number nine sixty four. Uh, Superman meet Clark Kent and they've been leading up to this. They've actually, they, you know, we had, we had the previous, uh, run on Superman where everyone knew he was Clark Kent and then he died and then there was a new Superman and then there was a new Clark Kent and they've proven that this Clark Kent believes he is Clark Kent. In fact, Batman did the, the, uh, the lie detector test on him in disguise. They didn't realize at that time he was in there working in the machine to make sure it was right. Um, the reason why I call this out is it made me realize, so we've got a new mystery. Where did this Clark Kent come from? Cause he's not tied into anything else related to the reboot. We haven't seen any, any master villains in the background uh, with clone vats or anything. It made me realize the Superman comics is continues to be one of those books where they can, they can run a long-term mystery. And it made me think back to Superman red and Superman blue and any number of times when something strange has happened in the book that changed up the Superman equation. And they just, they were able to tell stories around it for a long time without having to, undergo the pressure of trying to resolve what it was. And I like that. And I'm looking forward to this. So it is an interesting, it is an interesting mystery. All right. I like that. Uh, I'm going to choose another rebirth book, Batman beyond. Yeah. Um, which returned. I, cause after what was it? Futures end. Uh, right. it, it made Tim Drake, the future, uh, 
the future Batman uh, and, and wearing this, but um, this one uh, returns Terry McGinnis to the role. They apparently not having followed this. I, I didn't follow the story of what was going on in Batman Beyond uh, in the new 52. Um, but they've established that, the, again, it's doing exactly what we say the Rebirth books do, is reset the status quo. It's a, it's a, if you'd heard that there was somebody else in that suit, yes, and there's a brief, a little brief explanation as to why Terry was, was thought dead for a while, and now he's back and he's older than the animated series, uh, and, and resuming his role, whereas, and the supporting cast, though, is the same from the animated series. So it's kind of, I'm really loving the concept that if you're a fan of the, uh, of the series, that all still happened. That's still in continuity for, for Terry McGinnis. And this really resets it and brings back the Jokers. Uh, and, uh, it's just a really good done in one. I mean, it's got a cliffhanger, but I'm ready to go into the next issue already. And it's, uh, Ryan Sook did the art. So, um, fantastic artist, beautiful book. So if you didn't pick up Batman Beyond, uh, Rick, I'm going to recommend that you go back and do so. so. I will, I will take a look at that. So next one. So is that, is that getting the, um, the rebirth banner on it? Yes, it has Batman. It's Batman Beyond Rebirth number one. And then there will be, uh, DC Universe Rebirth Batman Beyond. The only thing I still don't like their branding on that. But uh, it will roll into a number one that is uh, later, uh, that is the just the regular Batman Beyond book. But this is still this is under the Rebirth umbrella. Gotcha. So my last book is back to Marvel, and um, it's so topical. And when they when the first issue came out, I just went, "This is this, this is the time. This is the time for this book," and that is Vote Loki number four. Which which uh, runs the uh, end of the the vote Loki story, a story in which Loki has decided to run for president of the United States. Now, see, so this is weird. Didn't that actually come out last week? Did it? Uh, it was on I my think staff. it did. Ah, but I will still allow it okay. because I I agree with every reason you have. The the I think even more maybe it was just on my read stack and it had kind of blended into my just bought stack. I think um, it's just uh, yeah because I think it's in my other bag of books from last week that I still need to read. So, so. The, Loki is running on a simple platform. I'm going to lie right to your face, and you're going to love it. And the fact that Loki was funded by a cult uh, was just a fact that he spun in his favor, and people loved him even more. So uh, I don't know. This is uh, this is another one of those. Uh, it's running so close to reality. I, more, more I don't know how other... well it's. I don't know how well it's selling, but I'm I'm going to go with you here and say like if you have not picked this up, when they get when a trade comes out, you need to buy it because this is going to be looked back upon as one of the most painfully smart books of 2016. Yeah, I think I, if they don't if they aren't right now trying to print it in advance of the election, uh, I think they're missing they're miss they're leaving money on the table. So. Well, like I said, it all depends on how well it was selling. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know where where it fits. And it goes back to what we were talking about on the last podcast about, you know, Rebirth is dominating with these safe, kind of safe, no-brainer books, right? Um, and they're very comfort food. DC has become the macaroni and cheese that I I love about DC and that it's not to sell short because there's some really incredibly great work going on there. 
but I will hand it to Marvel that Marvel is taking a lot of real risks with their storytelling. The downside of it is that there is, you know, is that the best work coming from Marvel are things that aren't going to last more than six issues. And, yeah. you know, and, but, but I've said for a long time, I'd rather see that. Let me see a graphic novel. Let me see it, you know, something that's a, a, a trade paperback because you have a solid story and tell that story and get out. And then when you have another good idea with that character, then I'll, I'll, I'll pick up that next one, but too often there's too much filler, you know? So vote Loki is a perfect example of taking a risk with a character, making a commentary. And I, even from reading the first issue of that, it's like, this is so painfully accurate, um, and clever. And, you know, it's, it's going to, it's satire and satire closes on Saturday night. And that's my only worry (laughs) for that series, Yeah, but it's going to, you know, yeah, it, it is just a great whichever side you know because I've seen arguments on both sides about lying you know, about every, the, both sides being liars it's exactly Loki coming forward with that saying you know with that with that I will lie at everybody's saying like that is that's the partisanship of of our of our culture right now and, and so brilliant brilliant book um, I think that uh, this was on my stack and has disappeared from the stack that I pulled aside but I will point out. As my last choice, that uh, Archie Comics has relaunched Josie and the Pussycats this week. So uh, I, be- I think the only book they have left to relaunch is Reggie, which is the one I'm least interested in with their refit. <laughs> but uh, I just want to point out they're taking a much more thorough and complicated origin for Josie and the Pussycats than the cartoon series ever did or that the comic book series ever did. Um, but it is Marguerite Bennett who writes uh, DC Bombshells um, and many other books as well, but that's one that first comes to mind for me. She's writing Josie and the Pussycats, uh, and it is it is a fun book, though as I all, I'm just going to warn, if you have fond memories and think it's like picking up Archie's Laugh, Laugh Digest and, and handing to your kids, um, there's the Archie reboots, with the exception of Mark Wade's basic Archie, uh, have had this little layer of sophistication, shall we say, that I'm not sure is exactly totally family friendly in the way that the that the old versions were. A little edgier. Um, what? A little edgier. They're a little edgier. There's a there's a little more sexual awareness. Yeah. Uh, to to this book, there's a little more to this book, and and um, Jughead just got a little more violent. You know. Um, and, and but Betty and Veronica definitely has that that, that kind of sexuality as well. That's kind of like uh, it's taking away a little bit, a little bit of innocence. But I'm also thinking if I were a 15 year old right now, the old version of RG wouldn't have done it. You know, the old version of Josie and the Pussycats wouldn't have done it. So I'm saying this is kind of I, this I, is high school. I was actually talking to somebody about this and the idea that uh, it used to be that when. Betty and Veronica would, would walk by Archie and Jughead and they were in uh, bikinis or whatever, they'd go wow. But now they go wow and they know why they're going wow. Yes. I suppose that's as good a, a way as any to explain it. I think they're still, they're, they're really great books, and, uh, which Archie's been doing for a long, Archie Comics has been doing for a long time, but now they're getting, you know, finally getting the attention by bringing in some really you know modern creators and a modern look and and they do feel like high school kids of today although i think josie the pussycats are being set up as they're older um but uh it's you know so it's it's uh 
it's worth picking up if you're a fan of the old character uh, characters, and if you're not, it just if you're a fan of Marguerite Bennett, pick it up. It's it's good stuff. Um, so let's roll into movies if we could. Um, and when I get there, that uh, just a quick perspective on DC versus Marvel. Suicide Squad has now made more money than the original Iron Man did. So despite last week's admission that uh, they could use some work in the DC universe, uh, movies. Um, Suicide Squad is doing quite well, and still playing in a lot of major theaters down here in L.A. They are making a lot of money, but, you know, Iron Man came out in 2009. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, there's a couple things that changed. One, there's a there's a bit of a currency change since then, but I think also it's much more common now to go and see a 3D version that costs more and a 3D no, you know, IMAX all that is version. all that is true, yeah, but for so, a movie that people are writing off yeah. as terrible, no, this I, is the thing that must be remembered. For all the hate that the DC Universe movies have, have gotten, they've all made a ton of money. Yeah. Not Star Wars Force Awakens money, but nothing has. You know, so it's just a, it's just a reminder. Yeah. Uh, I should point out, you know, if you're going to get this up before uh, Convolution this weekend... You know, Margot Robbie is hosting Saturday Night Live this week, so I'm going to bet there's going to be a Suicide Squad Joker 5 uh, on Saturday Night Live this weekend. Yes. And, you know, so, and she's just fine. They're, you know, they're they're moving forward. And uh, Jay Courtney wants to do a Suicide Squad 2. That's Captain Boomerang. He's ready to go. I'm sorry, just Boomerang. I don't know why they won't call him Captain Boomerang in the marketing, but, you know, they won't. Um, but whatever captain or just boomerang you know he's he's headed for it he's eager for it so we shall see um he's not the only one stumping for another movie Haley atwell uh has uh, spoken out again that she would she would return to play peggy carter in a heartbeat and keeps holding out hope that there will be like you know maybe in five or six years when they're not sure what to do with phase four of marvel that it'll go back into the fifties and let her finish telling uh, agent Carter's story. So um, we're, I'm for it. I'm not going to speak for you, but I'm for it. So I hope you are too. Oh yeah. I yeah. mean, <laughs> why not? I mean, okay. She's pushing for a movie, right? But yes. There's, there's so many ways that a, a new movie could come out that don't necessarily have to be in that, that 20 year Marvel plan of movies and push anything out. I mean, well, but that's just, you know, if you do a movie, it has to be in that plan because they need to have a gap. They need to have someplace to, to put it, you know, because as this summer has proven as last week, when you maybe say, when you they're like, it's been so long. And I thought, when did civil war come out? That was like April. So maybe that was truly the last big budget, expected yeah. film yeah. that we all that we embraced and loved and I thought that has been a long drought there's a lot of movies that came and went in the meantime they were like yeah okay they were alright I've never seen a lot of things but, but I, one that we really loved I'd know? like to so, see them just get some non big budget indie style films and I think that that Agent Carter is ripe for that kind of treatment no I'd, I'd love to see that I just think the model is more likely that you see Agent Carter return as a Netflix movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I I think that 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 would be one of the things that that Hollywood should experiment with is doing something for fifty or sixty million dollars. Yes. Instead of two hundred million, 
but they're not ready to take that chance yet. But I would say a Black Widow film or an Agent Carter film. Yeah. And, and I'm not being sexist when I say putting Black Widow. Black Widow does not need the um, spiral in the sky. You know, no. that's not who the character is. Just Do a, a straight-up really spy film. Tense, gritty spy movie, you know, yeah. with, with uh, Scarlett Johansson right in the middle of it. I would love that. And then the same thing with Agent Carter. I want to see, because season two of Agent Carter ended on a cliffhanger. Let's go back. And see what that next step is, the next step of S.H.I.E.L.D. So, anyway, we shall see. Uh, another next step. Uh, a major Hollywood director is throwing in uh, his hat into uh, the virtual reality ring. Um, which, of course, we got to come back around to when Cinequest comes. That's going to have a big VR component. But Alejandro Inaritu, uh, who was the director of Birdman and... Uh, Revenant. Revenant, that was it. It was last year's uh, interview. He is making a short VR film about uh, illegal immigrants crossing the border and what they go through. And I think having his weight behind it is both a game changer for the technology, but I can say, having gone through some VR experiences, if people are willing to go through that movie, there's going to be a game changer in empathy towards illegal immigration. Or at least illegal immigrants. Yeah, what they go through and why they do it. I, you know, um, so oh, so much, uh, so much weight in having this guy just get involved. I mean, oh, absolutely, two, two best director Ac- oh, Academy Awards, two. It's just yeah, yeah. So uh, I don't even. We don't even have a title for it yet, but it's just it's fascinating to see. And and for those who are poo pooing, and I, you know. They may have to still work out some kinks as in terms of people being able to process through a VR experience and getting through it. But but once they do, it's not a fad like 3D. You know, it's it's going to be something different, and it does take you into a different. And just like when we were talking about Barco Escape last year, you know, there's a new there's a new grammar, there's a new language that has to come with it. And seeing an, a director of Inaritu's, uh talent and caliber uh, starting to experiment with it is just exciting we're about to enter into a new art form. I mean, we, we've been stumbling through it and, it, and the floodgate's about to open. So that's very exciting. Yep. Uh, another floodgate, I, I, I will just talk briefly because I'm not sure exactly how much I want to say, but in a couple of weeks in cities around uh, the U.S., there's going to be something uh, new and different for American audiences, uh, which is uh, a good Godzilla movie. <laughs> uh <laughs> So uh, I was wondering how you were going to go there. <laughs> um, the Toho Godzilla, which is I, I think is being billed as Godzilla Resurgence, uh, Resurgence in um, in English, but the title is Shin Gojira. Uh, and uh, so I, the Funimation did send me a screener, and so I have I have now seen this film, which I just want to say has taken what few good ideas the American, both American films had about Godzilla, uh, and kind of integrated them in, in a kind of, yeah, oh yeah, that wasn't a bad idea, so they, they knew what they were doing, uh, but then still restored it as the man in suit. Uh, but these, the miniature work is so much better than what I remember from the 50s. Definitely changing... Uh, thematically, you know, I, I'm sure you've seen it as well the original uh, the original film from I think it's 1954. Oh sure, 
where you know Godzilla is this concept of it's an expiation of Japanese guilt about their complicitness in World War II, and that the atomic bomb was punishment and all that. And this still has an overtone of that of of of, of a nation that has undergone uh, that tremendous. Uh, not to you know, not to make a political viewpoint of it, but you know the the horror. I, that's a better way. I was going to say the 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 tragedy of it, but it, it's a, the horror of having uh, lived through uh, an atomic blast. Um, and but this Godzilla, this is like a whole new origin story for Godzilla, and it's not even really seeing it seeing hit him as good or evil. It's just it is. Yeah. And this un, un, implacable, unstoppable force of nature right. with new evolutionary capabilities. And then, so there's a whole new thinking of what the creature is. Uh, this, is a re, this is actually Toho reimagining their original in a very modern stage. And that where the original was uh, dealing with a lot of uh, like the fishing villages and the kind of the common people dealing with this, this is all about politics. Oh. And their government, and how people, t- and almost to maybe a little ham-fistedly, but it somewhat reminded me of Children of Earth, the Torchwood one, of dealing like right. what, what kind of deal making and political concerns do they have about this creature? Right, and it's the end of the world, and we're still trying to come out. And, on and top. the bureaucracy is trying to, and and yeah. and I said. And it's very interesting just to have that political overtone of there's a lot of discussion among the politicians of are we a culture even worth saving, which I think is a question many of us are probably asking in the U.S. Yeah. And the U.S. does play into this. And uh, it was kind of funny that there's a character that is the daughter of a U.S. senator uh, who is supposed to be half Japanese, but she is completely Japanese and uh, speaks fluent Japanese, but then inexplicably switches to English. Um, with a thick, thick Japanese accent, uh, uh, which is supposed to be an American, uh, you know, supposed to be American. And I thought, <laughs> that's probably what it's like if you were in Japan watching an American film where a character is supposed to be speaking Japanese. You know, like the the accent, the Japanese accent is probably really bad. The American accent is probably bad on Japanese. Um, so, uh, but uh, it definitely has, uh, you know, some of those tinges of, of the kind of goofiness of, of, of the way we, we grew up loving Godzilla movies, but uh, definitely there, there's a seriousness to it. It was it was good, and you know I uh, it really was nice to see a Godzilla movie that I'm like I got finished with. That is well, that was entertaining, and it's it's about two hours long, um, so not quite as long as the American one, but really gets down to it. If you're going to see a Godzilla movie, what are you worried about? You know, what do you want to see? You want to see everybody worried about Godzilla. You don't want to see subplots about families. And, you know, so yeah. it's really all about did everybody you s- just dealing with this. Did you so. see all the, the remakes they made in the 80s of uh, of the Godzilla movies? The uh, They basically I've, gave them a budget and... Oh, yeah, yeah, no. Uh, uh, my son and I, Hulu, was it Hulu or Crackle had them on okay. for a while. They just ended them. So, actually, we just watched... Before it went away, the Godzilla and Mothra, I can't remember what the title of it was, but there was a third monster, and right. that was the title character. Uh, but we, ju- we just watched one of those, 
uh, and I've seen I've, I've I've seen a couple back in the '90s on TV and gone, oh, what is this? And going, King, oh, wow, that's King Ghidra is a really good one. Yeah, so um, they're interesting, and of course we we've also gone through the remakes of Gamera. Um, uh, yeah, these are fun, and uh, and this one is fun and serious and a little scary. And I realized, yeah, there was a little bit. Of, it, it brought back a little of the horror for me. Yeah, y- you know. Oh um, no, and I, I remember watching that first movie, even the one. I mean, it wasn't even the original. It was the one that had Raymond Burr in it. And well, that's. I mean, that it's is the American the cut. They, they American cut of the original. Yeah. But you know they. They edited a lot of stuff out too, um, yeah. but even that, I was I was terribly scared watching that movie when I when I was a kid. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, that's uh, that's this the special movie review of the week. Um, let's see. Oh, we've uh, Sony has decided to swip swap swip swap their Valiant adaptations. It was scheduled that they were going to make a Bloodshot movie first, but they've decided, and I think this is, although it's frustrating to go, everybody's got to have a shared universe, but we knew this was coming anyway. Sony decided to make Harbinger first so that Bloodshot can appear as a quote-unquote villain in Harbinger, which right. is kind of the way he's presented if you were just reading Harbinger from the Valiant reboot. He shows up, and it's... You know, even though we're getting a different angle on it in the Bloodshot solo comic, it kind of makes sense that we present them that way cinematically, uh, so that you're going to alternate between Harbinger 1, Bloodshot 1, Harbinger 2, Bloodshot 2, and then Harbinger Wars. But the other thing is, by establishing Harbinger first, Sony noticed that um, they're doing quite well in comics right now with a member of, of that team, because they're not called Har- the team is not called Harbinger in the in the in the comics, um, but uh, this is the book uh, that what a character from that book is doing very well as a solo character, and that is Faith. So they can kind of accelerate potentially their spinoff of a spinoff of Faith if they rush Harbinger first and establish that's, that's ter- as many characters at once. Terrific on a couple of levels, and probably the the biggest one, of course. We've talked about Faith a lot because it's a body-positive uh, character, yes. the normal body, or, you know, she's she's overweight by medical standards. Uh, I'll go that far. And for the, it's, it's not that much a risk to do a comic about a character like that, but to load up a full movie production based on that is a really edgy and well, good I've, move. Well, I've... I've done the, the thing you're not supposed to do. I've read the comments on a couple of websites, yeah, in like on reviews of faith, and you know, and I and I think it's going away. But there was when when faith first started, there was a lot of negative, of course, uh, there are commentary, and so it was risky for a comic, and and they knew it, you know, and because she's she's not treated as 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 a funny character. And what I've loved about, because Josh Dysart was really the one who set the tone in Harbinger with her, um, was from the first page that Faith appeared in Harbinger, uh, she was one of us. You read her and you knew you knew her. Yeah. And some of us, you know, really could identify. She was a fan. Um, and she's she's deeply into fandom. And, you know, and so... Um, how could you not embrace that character? Yeah. And so, yeah, to see her up on the screen is, is going to be a great thing. So I'm, I'm, 
I'm excited about the Sony adaptations, even though, again, it's like, oh, man, we're getting overloaded with comics. But this is a problem that, again, uh, 10-year-old Derek watching that stupid Spider-Man on CBS live action uh-huh. could never have imagined oh, yeah. that this was going to be the world I was going to be claiming about. There's too many superhero movies for me to keep yeah. up with and TV shows, and we'll get to that in a minute. Um, oh, man, uh, trial. Trial of the Incredible Hugs coming out next week, yeah. Yeah, and John Favreau, uh, I got two items from John Favreau. He confirmed that Happy Hogan is going to be in Spider-Man Homecoming, which is awesome. And who's, uh, play, who's playing Happy? Is it is it still going to be... Uh... It's still John Favreau, okay. yeah. He's coming back to be... He's Tony Stark's right-hand man. He could announce it, but not be it. So. No, it's, it's him. Yeah. He, well, he was talking about how it's great to be able to just go back and act. Good. And, and not have to be part of the politics of making a Marvel movie, just being one. So he's happy. Right. Because he's busy in the politics of being Disney's number one go-to guy, because they're also going to make a live-action uh, Lion King, which is really, of course, computer-generated. So therefore, what they're really saying is they're just going to animate it in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but back to Spider-Man Homecoming, this is one of the – I have this amazing blank spot – Oh. Um, do you know this character? Yeah, I do. So the I was rumor buying. is that a character named Nightwatch is going to be in Spider-Man Homecoming, and I have no memory of Nightwatch. Exist- he had a book. He yeah. had a title of his own. Yeah, he. Uh, it didn't last a long time. I think it may have lasted a year. The uh, That was when they were really blowing out. They were really starting to blow out the number of Spider-Man titles they had. And that explains my blank spot. And that's why you weren't buying the ones that he was in, and then you didn't buy the other one. But my recollection of the character was that I felt he was kind of a reaction to Spawn, which had just come out before that, because uh-huh. he had the, he had like this cape that he could manipulate with his subconscious and stuff that it would act on his his behalf and stuff. So, yeah. and you know, it was just it was again it was. Uh, there were so many Spider-Man books they they created more new characters during that time period than uh, you know you're ever going to see because this is about the time of Thunderstrike and I totally avoided Thunderstrike. I think too. so. I think it's about the same so, time. Yeah, and the and the spirits of vengeance that well there was that Ghost Rider spinoff who was oh, vengeance all, all the Maximum Carnage stuff and oh cripes yeah. It was a dark, dark time in comics. Yeah, um, okay. I don't I don't think he was terribly bad. He was just like. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things where I, I'm just I surprised. I saw a picture of him and I thought it was Spawn. I, I'm I'm just surprised he got a a, a book out of it because there were I think there were better Spider-Man characters that didn't get books. But well, we find. But I think they were. Problem. I actually think they were they were reacting to Spawn. So yeah, well, it was right after Image started. So yeah. and they just lost all those characters. So let's go to television. Um, speaking of comics from the 80s and 90s. Uh-huh. I'm, I, I'm forcing that segue, but this is real. That the Arrowverse, uh, Warner Brothers announced this morning that they're, that the excuse for the big CW crossover in the Arrowverse, Supergirl, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, The Flash, and Arrow is going to be, although I don't know how Arrow's going to fit into this, uh, is going to be sort of a TV adaptation of the obscure uh, DC event from the 80s, Invasion. The Dominators are going to come to Earth. You know, I don't find I don't find it that weird because remember the uh, the Kree Skull Scroll War. Yes, there were two standout heroes for that. Obviously, Rick Jones was the yes. the Deus Ex Machina, but who was the other one? 
Cl- the Kree scroll? No, uh, the Kree scroll war. war. Um, okay, I'm just going to give it to you. Clint Barton, because he had been... Oh, that's right. He okay, had been yeah. Giant Man. He lost He lost his ability to control that, so he fabricated arrows and a bow, and he was fighting from the shadows on the alien ships, and I believe he's the one who was able to free everybody from their uh, from their their imprisoned states. Yeah, I think so. So, so I um, mean, it's great when you have a guy who has no power is the one who comes in and saves true. all the powered people. So true. Yeah. So we're thinking that uh, the rumors are, you know, the Lodge Leary has been slotting the crossover as being uh, uh, either early December or late November. I don't even know if, if the, the, the so-called sweeps still matter. Um, they used to, and it is following sweeps as a crossover. That would be late November, like yeah. around Thanksgiving. Um, I am grateful for that. Um, one thing that is making people sad this week is that Cartoon Network announced that Adventure Time is coming to an end in 2018 uh, with, I think this is season seven. Um, and yet there's going to be like 142 hours worth of oh, yeah. Adventure Time programming, oh, yeah. which is, I think I've seen comments going, you know, there are so many different plot threads going on that, you know, is it even enough time to wrap everything up? It's another um, one that's kind of meta media, too, because isn't, isn't there still a comic? For Adventure Time? I think so. Yeah, there are Adventure Time comics, yeah. yeah. I mean, that are spun off of the, it's like what we're talking about with Rick and Morty. Morty. Uh, but the difference being that I think that Adventure Time has a loose enough thing that you can go into side stories with Adventure Time and not really, I mean, because, you know, this is a series that even has its own um, fan, it's got episodes devoted to its fanfic. I don't know if you watch Adventure Time at all. It is, it um, is like my favorite show that I never watch. Yes, okay, so, you know, that it's, it's Jake, it's Finn and Jake, and of course this last week with The Simpsons, they used it, they did an Adventure Time opening, um, that the actual Adventure Time creator, Pendleton Ward, actually did it, was the one who did it. Um, but uh, that Finn and Jake, then they have the uh, gender uh, flipped. The fanfic is Cake and Fiona. Uh, and so <laughs> it's a cat and a, and a girl wearing the same outfit as Jake does. Uh, or, sorry, it's Finn the Human. Sorry, 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 sorry. Uh, fans who are screaming at, at, at the at your listening device, how could I get it so wrong when it's, of course, Finn the Human. Uh, it's Fiona the Human. Um, and and it's, it's just a, you know, such a wonderfully weird and deep, you know, I, there was an episode, my kids were on vacation with me and my, and my brother came, we were, we were in adjoining hotel rooms, he came in and Adventure Time was on. And they had an episode that was basically like a like a Fellini circus film, right? Um, where it was uh, it was Jake's tail is a is a clown in a in an insect circus, and it's all done. It's like I'm going, what what show? When I was a kid, my parents would not let me watch something. Like that. Well, it's, it's an amazing groundbreaking series. It's so. an amazing. It's ironic in that the the animation style is so loose and unrefined. Yes. But the the mythology that they've set up and the characters and their motivations and their histories are so deep and so layered. Yes, and uh, and often tragic. Yeah, you know? and, and it's just it, it's it, what a, it is a great series. So uh, series uh, dropping this big and just to call out to remind you that tomorrow, uh, oh my gosh, September thirtieth, 
uh, you know, Netflix drops Luke Cage on us. Uh, so 13 episodes. Binge watch. I still haven't finished Daredevil, so I'm probably not going to get to Luke Cage till sometime next week. Yeah. And probably not going to finish it for a while, but um, I'm very excited about that. And Ash versus Evil Dead uh, is on Sunday. We talked about that last week. Great, great, great series. Uh, so look forward I've, to that return. I finally caught the trailer for that, and it does look amazing. Oh, it, it, it is great. It is great. Wait till we get to episode two, and then you can tell me if you were as horrified, truly <laughs> horrified by it as I was. Um, I was, and they, I, I got a little note from Star. I mean, all of us got notes from Star today uh, reminding us, you know, please don't give away plot details. I'm like, I won't. It's just that 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 the second episode is the is the only episode in the only Evil Dead thing in all this time that has ever truly disgusted me. And so <laughs> it's like, and then I got over it because it's like, oh, it's still Evil Dead. It's fun. Uh, so. Uh, one coming up we haven't really talked about much, but it's coming soon, is Westworld. Looking um, forward to this one. A very intriguing, um, my, uh, I guess the advantage of doing it in uh, you know in several hours. This is, and I'll go back to your earlier comment about why couldn't cinema make a $60 million, and I said, said this last week about Ash vs. Evil Dead. Because the really great, great movie making is happening on television. Yeah. And that's where the entertainment is, you know, where the where the thought is. Um, you know, so I'm definitely looking forward to Westworld and their well, rethinking of of Michael Crichton's original. It's funny because the original movie was it wasn't terribly big budget. Um, no, it, it was basically. I mean, if you think about it, they already had a lot of western scenery and they had a lot of western. Uh, costume and props and stuff and the, the we forget that westworld was part of an amusement park that had medieval world and oh i don't forget that at yeah. all i was just going over that with somebody at work we were talking about spa world medieval world and future world because right. that was the sequel right which was not approved of by michael Crichton, but i i actually saw that first the uh, i actually i went back to uh to read up on on to remember some of this because i couldn't find anywhere for watching um I don't know if they've shut it down or, or what the Illuminati that is our media culture, uh, media overlords. Um, but the, uh, do you, you, you remember the, the poster for, uh, for Westworld? Yes. Do you know who did the art for the poster for Westworld? Is that a Frazetta? Nope. Neil Adams. Oh, it's, I wouldn't have been aware of him yet. Yeah. That was like 71. I didn't really know artists then. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I don't think he had really done much Batman at that point. No, probably not. Well, yeah. you know, he came out of that, but he was heavily in advertising at the time. Yeah. You know, so yeah. Um, that's where the money was. But the, uh, what was the, there was one other thing I was going to say. Oh, Richard Benjamin, right? Yeah. Yeah. Richard it's, Benjamin and James Brolin. Yeah. Which, uh, we 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 don't think about uh, Benjamin when we think when we think about Richard Benjamin in science fiction. We think of uh, no, I don't know Quark. Uh, no, I I mean I remember Quark, but I no, I didn't think of that. At you all. don't think of that at all? Okay. No, you know because I meant to go when they they released that on DVD a while ago, and I wanted to get that, and I, I didn't, and I passed up. I remember watching Quark. Uh, you and I must be the only two that were yeah uh, when it was on TV. Uh, NBC, but uh, now when I think of Richard Benjamin, I think of uh, I think of what a great director. 
because oh, okay. I've liked all of his movies. You know, I, I know, I know he was, you know, he was an actor and he's a very good actor, but I, I've just liked it. And I think he's still alive. I've just always enjoyed him because yeah, he directed my favorite year, which is one of my favorite films. Yeah. So, yeah. Which is there? Uh, please, where's the Blu-ray special edition of my favorite year? I've been begging, waiting for this for years. Anyway, uh, that's going to wrap it up for this week. Uh, enjoy, enjoy this weekend, Luke Cage and Ash vs. Evil Dead. Uh, and of course, uh, Rick will be at Convolution this weekend in San Mateo. Yep. Uh, I, I will not. Um, and we'll figure out our, our next podcast scheduling uh, later, but uh, it will be soon. And until then and beyond, I'm Derek McCaw, Editor-in-Chief of FanboyPlanet.com. And I'm Rick Brett Snyder, reminding you to Use your, Use your powers, powers only for good. And thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreat.com. Luke, L-U-K-E-S-K-I dot com.